All right, Wrestling With Theology fans, this is Pastor Doug Minton, and we are standing in the confessional corner this week looking at the second half of the Solid Declarations article on election and God's foreknowledge. We're picking up where we left off last week in paragraph 45, and a lot of this is going to be just plain and simple. Much like last week, there's going to be just a lot of reading through because there's not a whole lot needing to be said about these things. But I will stop and comment every once in a while. So picking up in paragraph 45, we are on page 609 of the Concordia, the reader's edition of the Lutheran Confessions. This doctrine of election also provides the excellent, glorious consolation that God was greatly concerned about the conversion, righteousness, and salvation of every Christian. He so faithfully provided for it that even before the foundation of the world was laid, he considered it and in his purpose ordained how he would bring me to salvation and preserve me in salvation. He wanted to secure my salvation so well and so certainly, since through the weakness and wickedness of our flesh, salvation could easily be lost from our hands, or through the devils and the world's craft and might, it could be snatched and taken from us. Therefore, he ordained in his eternal purpose what cannot fail or be overthrown. He placed salvation for safekeeping in the almighty hand of our Savior, Jesus Christ, from which no one can snatch us. John 10:28. Therefore, Paul asks in Romans, because we are called according to his purpose, in chapter 8, verse 28, who will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord? Chapter 8, verse 39. Furthermore, this doctrine provides glorious consolation under the cross and amid temptations. In other words, God and his counsel, before the time of the world, determined and decreed that he would assist us in all distresses. He determined to grant patience, give consolation, nourish and encourage hope, and produce an outcome for us that would contribute to our salvation. Also, Paul teaches this in a very consoling way. He explains that God and his purpose has ordained before the time of the world by what crosses and sufferings he would conform every one of his elect to the image of his son. His cross shall and must work together for good for everyone because they are called according to God's purpose. Therefore, Paul has concluded that it is certain and beyond doubt that neither tribulation nor distress, neither death nor life nor other such things will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. See Romans 28, or 8, 28 to 39. This is the consolation, that it has nothing to do with us. It is all in Christ's hands. This article provides a glorious testimony that God's church will exist and abide in opposition to all the gates of hell, Matthew 16, 18. Likewise, it teaches that what God's true church is, so that we may not be offended by the great authority of the false church, Romans 9, 24 to 25. Powerful rebukes and warnings are taken from this article, such as these. They rejected the purpose of God for themselves, Luke 7.30. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet, Luke 14.24. Many are called, but few are chosen, Matthew 20.14. He who has ears to hear, let him hear, Luke 8.8. Take care, then, how you hear, Luke 8.18. So the teaching about this article can be used for our benefit, comfort, and salvation. But a distinction must be made with special care between what is clearly revealed about election in God's word and what is not revealed. For in addition to what has been revealed in Christ about this, which we have spoken about up to this point, God has kept secret and concealed much about this mystery. He reserved it for his wisdom and knowledge alone. We should not investigate this, indulge our thoughts in this matter, draw conclusions, or inquire curiously. Instead, we should cling to the revealed word. This warning is most urgently needed. 
Our curiosity always has greater pleasure in giving itself to these matters than with what God has revealed to us about this matter in his word. We cannot harmonize God's revelation with our reason, which we have not been commanded to do anyway. There is no doubt that God foresaw before the time of the world and still knows exactly which people who are called will believe and which will not believe. He also knows which of the converted will persevere and which will not persevere. He knows which will return after a fall and which will fall into stubbornness. He also knows the number of how many there are of these on either side. Beyond all doubt, this is perfectly known to God. However, God has reserved this mystery for his wisdom. He has revealed nothing to us about it in his word, much less commanded us to investigate it with our thoughts. Instead, he has seriously discouraged us from that. Romans 11, 33-35 Therefore, we should not reason in our thoughts, draw conclusions, or inquire curiously into these matters, but we should cling to his revealed word to which he points us. Without any doubt, God also knows and has determined for everyone the time and hour of his call and conversion. But this time has not been revealed to us. Therefore, we have the command always to keep proclaiming the word, entrusting the time and hour of conversion to God. Acts 1.7 We see that God gives his word at one place and not at another. He removes it from one place and allows it to remain at another. Also, one person is hardened, blinded, given over to a depraved mind, while another who is indeed in the same guilt is converted again, and so on. In these and similar questions, Paul, in Romans 11.22-24, fixes a certain limit to to show us how far we should go. In part, we should recognize God's judgment. They are well-deserved penalties for sins when God punishes a land or nation for despising his word so that the punishment extends also to their descendants, as is seen among the Jewish people in Exodus 25. By these punishments in in some lands and persons, God shows his severity to those who are his in order to point out that we all would have well-deserved and would be worthy and worth. For we act wickedly in opposition to God's word. We often grieve the Holy Spirit terribly, Ephesians 4.30. God shows his punishment in order that we may live in fear of him and acknowledge and praise his goodness to the exclusion of and contrary to our merit in and with us. He gives his word to us and leaves it, and he does not harden and reject us. So we have this moment where we have all of these questions. We want to know why Are some people called when they are infants? Why was I called when I was 10? Why are some people not called until they are much older? That is up to God. That is not up to us to figure out, not to us to try to explain either. We only take what is given to us. And that is God's good and gracious will for us. That all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. We pick up in paragraph 60. Because our nature has been corrupted by sin and is worthy of and subject to God's wrath and condemnation, God does not owe us the word, the spirit, or grace. When he graciously bestows these gifts, we often thrust them from us and make ourselves unworthy of everlasting life. Acts 13, 46. Therefore, he displays his righteous, well-deserved judgment in some countries, nations, and persons. And when we are placed alongside of them and compared with them, we may learn to recognize and praise God's pure, unmerited grace in the vessels of mercy more diligently. Romans 9, 23. No injustice is done to those who are punished and receive the wages of their sins. But to the rest, to those whom God gives and perseveres his word, by which people are enlightened, converted, and preserved, God commends his pure grace and mercy without their merit. When we get this far in the article... We remain on the right way, 
as it is written in Hosea 13.9. He destroys you, O Israel, for you are against me, against your helper. Regarding the things in this dispute that would soar too high and beyond these limits, we should with Paul place a finger on our lips and remember and say, Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Romans 9.20 We neither can nor should investigate and fathom everything in this article, the great Apostle Paul declares. After having argued much about this article from God's revealed word, as soon as he comes to the point where he shows what God has reserved for his hidden wisdom about this mystery, he suppresses and cuts it off with the following words, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord? Romans 11, 33-34. In other words, we cannot know about matters outside of and beyond what God has revealed to us in his word. This eternal election of God is to be considered in Christ, and not outside of or without Christ. For in Christ, the Apostle Paul testifies, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. As it is written, he has blessed us in the beloved, Ephesians 1, 4, and 6. However, this election is revealed from heaven through the preaching of his word, when the Father says, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him, Matthew 17, 5. Christ says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Concerning the Holy Spirit, Christ says, He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. John sixteen fourteen. So the entire Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, directs all people to Christ, as to the book of life, in whom they should seek the Father's eternal election. For this has been decided by the Father from eternity, whom he would save, he would save through Christ. Christ himself says, No one comes to the Father except through me, John 14, 6. And again, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, John 10, 9. However, Christ, as God's only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, John 1, 18, has announced the Father's will to us. In this way, he has also announced our eternal election to eternal life. He says, The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel, Mark 1, 15. Likewise, he says, For this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. John 6, 40. And again, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. John three sixteen. The Father wants all people to hear this proclamation and desires that they come to Christ. Christ does not drive these people from Him, as it is written, Whoever comes to Me I will never cast out. John six thirty seven. In order that we may come to Christ, the Holy Spirit works true faith through the hearing of the Word. The Apostle testifies about this when he says faith comes through hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ, Romans 10.17. That is, when it is preached in its truth and purity. Whoever would be saved should not trouble or torment himself with thoughts about God's secret counsel, about whether he is also elected and ordained to eternal life. Miserable Satan usually attacks with these thoughts and afflicts godly hearts. But they should hear Christ, who is the book of life, and hear about God's eternal election to eternal life for all of his children. Christ testifies to all people without distinction that it is God's will that all people should come to him who labor and are heavy laden with sin, in order that he may give them rest and save them. Matthew eleven twenty eight. So here we have two great passages that are used very often, John three sixteen and Matthew eleven twenty eight. The gospel in the nutshell that God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And Jesus calling out, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We've seen these verses over and over again these last couple of weeks is talking about election and God's foreknowledge. 
This is where the consolation comes in. This is where that excellent, glorious consolation is. Christ invites you to come to him, to find rest in him. Rest that can only be found in him. Because try as we might, we are not going to be able to find that rest. We are not going to be able to find that certainty in and of ourselves or in anything else that is in this world. We pick up in paragraph 71. According to Christ's teaching, they should abstain from their sins, repent, believe his promise, and entirely trust in him. Since we cannot do this by ourselves, by our own powers, the Holy Spirit desires to work these things, repentance and faith in us, through the word and sacraments. In order that we may receive this, persevere in it, and remain steadfast, we should beg God for his grace, which he has promised us in the Holy Spirit. No doubt he will give it to us according to his promise, as he has said, What father among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Luke 11, 11 11-13 The Holy Spirit dwells in the elect, who have become believers, as in his temple. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 He is not idle in them, but moves God's children to obey God's commands. Therefore, believers, too, should not be idle, much less resist the work of God's Spirit. They should practice all Christian virtues in all godliness, modesty, temperance, patience, and brotherly love. And they should give all diligence to make their calling and election sure, 2 Peter 1.10. They should do this so that the more they find the Spirit's power and strength within them, they may doubt their election less. For the Spirit bears witness to the elect that they are God's children, Romans 8.16. Sometimes they fall into temptation so terribly that they imagine they can no longer perceive the power of God's indwelling spirit. And so they say with David, I had said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight. Psalm 31, 22. Yet they should, without regard to what they experience in themselves, again say with David the words immediately following, as it is written in the same place, but you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. Our election to eternal life is not founded on our godliness or virtue, but on Christ's merit alone and his Father's gracious will. He cannot deny himself, 2 Timothy 2.13, because he is unchangeable in will and essence, Hebrews 6.17-18. Therefore, when his children depart from obedience and stumble, he has called them to repentance again through the word, and the Holy Spirit wants by the word to be effective in them for conversion. When they turn to him, Jeremiah 31, 18 and 19, again in true repentance by a right faith, he will always show his old paternal heart to all who tremble at his word and from their heart turn again to him. As it is written, if a man divorces his wife and she goes from him and becomes another man's wife, will he return to her? Would not that land be greatly polluted? You have played the whore with many lovers, yet return to me again, declares the Lord. Jeremiah 3, 1. Furthermore, the declaration in John 6, is right and true. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. However, the Father will not do this without means, but has ordained his word and sacraments for this purpose as ordinary means and instruments. It is not the will of the Father or of the Son that a person should not hear or should despise the preaching of his word and wait for the drawing of the Father without the word and sacraments. For the Father draws indeed by the power of his Holy Spirit. However, he works according to his usual way. He works by the hearing of his holy divine word as with a net, Matthew thirteen forty-seven to 48 by which the elect are plucked from the devil's jaws. 
Every poor sinner should therefore attend to the word, hear it attentively, and not doubt the Father's drawing. For the Holy Spirit will be with his, power, his word and his power and will work by it. That is a Father's drawing. The reason why not all who hear the word believe, and some are therefore deeply condemned, is not because God has begrudged them their salvation. It is their own fault. They have heard the word in such a way as not to learn, but only to despise, blaspheme, and disgrace it. They have resisted the Holy Spirit, who through the word wanted to work in them, as was the case at the time of Christ with the Pharisees and their followers. Therefore, the apostle distinguishes with special care the work of God, who alone makes vessels of honor, and the work of the devil and the people. By the instigation of the devil, not God, a person has made himself a vessel of dishonor. For it is written, God endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Romans 9, 22-23. Here then the apostle clearly says that God endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath, but he does not say that he made them vessels of wrath. If that had been his will, he would not have required any great long suffering for it. The reason that they are fitted for destruction belongs to the devil and to people themselves and not to God. All preparation for condemnation is by the devil and a person through sin. In no way does it come from God, who does not want any person to be damned. How then should he himself prepare any person for condemnation? God is not a cause of sins. He is also not the cause of punishment or damnation. The only cause of damnation is sin, for the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. Just as God does not will sin and has no pleasure in sin, so he does not desire the death of the wicked, Ezekiel 33.11, nor has he pleasure in this condemnation. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance, 2 Peter 3, 9. So too it is written in Ezekiel 33, 11, As I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked should turn from his way and live. See also Ezekiel 18, 23. St. Paul testifies in clear words that from vessels of dishonor, vessels of honor may be made by God's power and working. He writes, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. 2 Timothy 2, 20-21 A person who should cleanse himself must first have been unclean and a vessel of dishonor. He says clearly about the vessels of mercy that the Lord himself has prepared them for glory. He does not say this about the damned. They themselves, and not God, have prepared themselves as vessels of damnation. So again, this point being that those who do not hear or do not believe what they have heard, it is their own fault that they get condemned. It is their own fault. It is God's grace and mercy that brings us salvation. It is our sin that brings us condemnation. And there is no turning back from this idea that, you know, we have to have God involved in it somehow. No, no, no. God is not involved in sin, period. End of discussion. There is no sin in him. However, he does use sin to punish sin, as we see in paragraph 83 and following. Furthermore, remember that God punishes sin with sins. This means that because of their self-confidence, lack of repentance, and willful sins, he later punishes with hard-heartedness and blindness those who had been converted. Hebrews 6, 4-6. This punishment should not be interpreted to mean that it never had been God's good pleasure that such persons should come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. For both these facts are God's revealed will. Number one, God will receive into grace all who repent and believe in Christ. 
Number two, he will also punish those who willfully turn away from the holy commandment and again entangle themselves in the world's filth. Second Peter two twenty to twenty one. Decorate their hearts for Satan. Luke eleven twenty four to twenty six. And despise God's spirit. Hebrews ten twenty nine. They will be hardened, blinded, and eternally condemned if they persist in such things. Even Pharaoh persist, perished in this way, of whom it is written in Exodus 9.16 and Romans 9.17, But for this purpose I have raised you up, to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. This was not because God had begrudged him salvation, or because it had been his good pleasure that Pharaoh should be damned and lost. For God is not willing that any should perish. Second Peter 3.9 He also has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Ezekiel 33.11 God did harden Pharaoh's heart. In other words, Pharaoh always sinned again and again and became more hardened to the, the more he was warned. That was a punishment of his earlier sin and horrible tyranny that in many and various ways he acted inhumanely toward the children of Israel against his heart's accusations. God caused his word to be preached and his will to be proclaimed to Pharaoh. Nevertheless, Pharaoh willfully stood up immediately against all rebukes and warnings. Therefore, God withdrew his hand from him. Pharaoh's heart became hardened and stubborn, and God executed his judgment on him, for he was guilty of nothing other than hellfire. So the Holy Apostle also introduces the example of Pharaoh for no other reason than to prove God's justice by it, which he exercises towards the unrepentant despisers of his word. By no means, however, has the Apostle intended or understood this to mean that God begrudged salvation to him or any person. He doesn't mean God had ordained Pharaoh to eternal damnation in his secret counsel so that Pharaoh should not be able or that it should not be possible for him to be saved. This doctrine and explanation of the eternal and saving choice of God's elect children entirely gives God all the glory. In Christ, he saves us out of pure mercy without any merits or good works in us. He does this according to the purpose of his will, as it is written, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved, Ephesians 1, 5-6. Therefore, it is false and wrong when it is taught that not only God's mercy and Christ's most holy merit, but also something in us is a cause of God's election, on account of which God has chosen us to eternal life. Before we had done anything good, also before we were born, yes, even before the foundations of the world were laid, he elected us in Christ. And in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, because of his call, she was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. Romans 9, 11-13, also Genesis 25, 23, and Malachi 1, 2 and 3. Furthermore, this teaching gives no one a cause either for despair or for a shameless, loose life. By this teaching, people are taught that they must seek eternal election in Christ and his holy gospel, as in the book of life. This excludes no penitent sinner, but beckons and calls all poor, heavy-laden, and troubled sinners to repentance and knowledge of their sins. It calls them to faith in Christ and promises the Holy Spirit for purification and renewal. It gives the most enduring consolation to all troubled, afflicted people so that they know their salvation is not placed in their own hands. Otherwise, they would lose their salvation much more easily than was the case with Adam and Eve in paradise, yes, every hour and moment. But salvation is in God's gracious election, which he has revealed to us in Christ, out of whose hand no person shall snatch us. John 10, 28, 2 Timothy 2, 19. If anyone presents the teaching about God's gracious election in such a way that troubled Christians cannot get comfort out of it, they, but are pushed to despair, 
Or if anyone teaches it so that the impenitent are confirmed in their sinfulness, then it is undoubtedly sure and true that such a doctrine is not taught according to God's word and will. It is taught according to human reason and the instigation of the devil. For as the apostle testifies, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. But when this consolation and hope are weakened or entirely removed by Scripture, it is certain that it is understood and explained contrary to the Holy Spirit's will and meaning. This simple, correct, useful explanation has a firm and good foundation in God's revealed Word. We abide by it. We flee from and shun all lofty, difficult questions and disputes. We reject and condemn whatever is contrary to these simple, useful explanations. All right, there we have the end of the article on election and God's foreknowledge. And this is the most important thing. If you are being taught or you are hearing somebody teach or say something about God's election or salvation that does not bring comfort to people, but instead leaves them in a worse case of despair or doubt, they are teaching the wrong thing. They are teaching against the scriptures because everywhere in the scriptures that we have God's election talked about, it is talked about in a comforting, consoling manner. Even in the command, repent and believe in the gospel from Mark chapter one is still a command with consolation because what is the gospel? It is the good news of salvation for you and for me. All right, as I said, that is the end of the article on the God's foreknowledge and election. The last three paragraphs in this are the conclusion of the controversial articles. This is kind of a capstone to articles 1 through 11. Everything that has been covered through here, basically saying, again, that we will stand by this teaching before the judgment throne of Christ, believing that this is the true, inspired, revealed will of God. So much for the controversial articles that have been discussed for many years among the theologians of the Augsburg Confession. Some have erred in severe controversies, that is, religious disputes have arisen in these articles. From our explanation, friends and enemies, and therefore everyone, may clearly see that we have no intention of yielding any part of God's eternal immutable truth for the sake of temporal peace, tranquility, and unity, which is not in our power to do anyway. Such peace and unity would have no permanence, since it is devised against the truth and for its suppression. We are even less willing to adorn and conceal a corruption of the pure doctrine and clear condemned errors. We do yearn for, with heartfelt pleasure and love for unity. On our part, we are sincerely willing and anxious to advance that unity according to our utmost power by which God's glory remains unharmed. We willingly advance unity where nothing of the divine truth of the Holy Gospel is surrendered, no room is given to the least error, and poor sinners are brought to true, genuine repentance, raised up by faith, confirmed in new obedience, and justified and eternally saved alone through the sole merit of Christ. All right, that ends Article 11 and the controversies that have arisen in these previous 11 articles. And here it is that we are definitely, as Lutherans, definitely seeking for the unity of the faith. That is something that we pray for every week here at Our Savior, 
is for the strengthening of God's word and the proclamation and for the unity of all and the stability of the Holy Church of God. We pray for these things because we desperately desire them. We, like God, want all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But we want them to have the whole truth. We don't want them clinging on to little errors here and there. This is why the Book of Concord was written in the first place. And all of the different things in it is that we want to make sure that everything is pointed out. Everything is seen as being good or bad, being God-pleasing or being against his will. And we definitely seek for us to be God-pleasing. All right, we have one week left in 2023, and next week is Christmas Day. And so for Christmas Day on the Confessional Corner, we are looking at the 12th and final article on of the Formula of Concord. Basically, what about everybody else? And here we have the distinctions between the Anabaptists, the Schwingfeldians, the New Arians, the Anti-Trinitarians, everybody who has come up that is not covered in the Formula of Concord. We're going to lay that out as to their errors and see why this is not a good thing, why we cannot be in agreement with them until these errors are cleared up. So come back next week, and then starting in 2024, the Confessional Corner will go monthly as we look at the historical context of the Lutheran Reformation before we jump back in in 2025 to start over with the Book of Concord again. So we're going to take a monthly look, probably a 30 to 40 minute look each month at some of the things going on, whether it is like in January, everything building up to Luther's birth and the people surrounding that may or may not have any contact with Luther at all, but are there at the same time doing their great things in the Renaissance, but then going through Luther's ministry and his life and the work of the Reformation beyond his life before, again, coming back and looking at the Book of Concord once again, starting in 25. So I encourage you to be here for that. But digging deeper, continuing to dig deeper into Revelation, we continue to go on through that. That is going to stay weekly. It is just this Confessional Corner segment that's going to go monthly. As we wind down this series on the Formula of Concord next week, I wish you a very Merry Christmas season, finishing up this Advent season, Hear the word. The word that became flesh for us is the babe of Bethlehem. Hear the consolation that he gives in saying that you are elect to salvation through him. And in that, we find the foundation of our ability to wrestle with the theologies around us. Amen. <laughs>